0: Welcome to New Wineskins, a podcast dedicated to helping your church discover fresh perspectives to increase your ministry effectiveness, engage your community, and fulfill your calling in the context of our current culture. Each episode, we take time to dialogue with pastors, church staff, lay leaders, and experts who bring new ideas and fresh perspectives to assist the local church. You can find out more about our program by visiting us on anchor.fm or email at tony.brooks at bgav.org. Our guest this week is Dr. Josh Hayden, pastor of First Baptist Church in Ashland, Virginia and remissioning coach with the V3 Movement. And he shares some great insights for local churches regarding remissioning. What is keeping the church from finding fresh perspectives and new ways to live on mission for Christ? What is needed to live into mission? Our host for this journey is Dr. Tony Brooks, field strategist for the Baptist General Association of Virginia. We hope you enjoy this episode of New Wineskins.
1: Here's Tony. So I'm thankful as we start uh, this new podcast, New Wineskins, Fresh Perspectives for the Church in the 21st Century. I'm excited to have with me Reverend Dr. Joshua Hayden, pastor of First Baptist Church in Ashland, Virginia. He's also a remissioning coach with the V3 Movement, uh, which is our church planting partner through the Baptist General Association of Virginia. Josh, man, I'm so glad uh, you could do this as my first person uh, to, to interview
2: I gotta say those are some uh, big shoes to step into being the first, but glad to be here, Tony. Thank you so much for inviting me on.
1: What else would you want folks to know about you as far as family or our interest or anything you want to talk about?
2: Yeah, so my wife Shay, and I've been married uh we've been together for we're those uh classic high school sweethearts, so uh, we went on our first date in nineteen ninety eight and uh been together for a long time, so um yeah, we'll hit 17 years of marriage this summer. I've got two boys and, um, yeah, just really, really love, uh, being in Ashland and the chance to raise a family here. Um, it's been neat to kind of raise them outside of a, in kind of a suburb outside of Richmond and, um, yeah, being, uh, I love soccer and running. Uh, one of my favorite things and ways that I'd love to live on mission is being a soccer coach. And so, um, if you if you can't find me reading a bunch of dorky books about theology or remissioning churches, uh, I'm usually watching Premier League soccer or coaching my kids or going for a run. So
1: Josh, man, that's great. Uh yeah, I coach soccer as well when my kids were growing up and loved it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, you know, we got to know each other really through this remissioning cohort that I've been a participant of. And, and man, I have really enjoyed. Uh, being a part of this group. Um, so why is remissioning of the church important to you? What What is the why? Yeah, you know, I have to start there. Simon Sinek, start with why. Years ago, I introduced our team, in fact, because um, again, I work for the BJV as a field strategist to this idea of the why. So let's talk about the why for you.
2: Yeah, that's a, it's a really important question, Tony. So When I think about the why of remissioning, is uh, I kind of have an an interesting upbringing. I spent the first half of my life in very traditional, established churches, and then the second half of my life in church plants. And through those experiences, I realized that um, if young people like myself uh, only created new things but didn't actually help uh, inform and invest and help um, transform some of the established churches that shaped us, invested in us, gave their hearts to us, uh, believed in us, helped us to discern a sense of call and mission, if we all just kind of moved on to new things, um, some of those places that really helped create who we are um, would be missing out on some of the kind of fresh ideas and ways to be church uh, today and in the, in the days to come. And so um, I honestly just felt this deep sense of call Ah, uh, to go back uh, to the churches that helped shape and form me growing up, and begin to have conversations about what it meant to be a church that re reawakens the mission of God for the future, and um, I realized that uh, if you know I'm a I'm a white guy uh, who's been able to have a ton of good mentors and people who've invested in my life, that if I just sort of abandon some of the like established churches that invested in me, that gave scholarships to me so that I could go to school and not come out with a ton of debt. That if I didn't, if I wasn't willing to go back into some of those spaces and have important conversations about the future of the church, that um, they were going to be devoid of some of the freshest, like most kind of like beautiful ways that the spirit was at work in the world. Um, but I realized that you couldn't just take church planting ideas and just throw them, back into an established church and expect it to work out. And so I believe that remissioning churches is so important because there's actually a lot more established churches in need of remissioning than there are opportunities to just simply plant all over the place. And so uh, I believe deeply in planting. I spent the first 11 years of paid staff work as a church planting. Um, But I realized that if, if no one sort of went back and helped our, our, our grandmothers and grandfathers to know that the work that they've done both matters, but also needs to be translated for a new day, that this stuff was just going to, some of these churches, these beloved churches that have resources and a heart, but just sort of lost their way, that they would just stay stuck or just or just go away. And that, that would be um, a, a tragedy for the sake of the gospel, a tragedy for the sake of some of those churches that... Um, yeah, might might need to repent of some brokenness and sin, but also had possibilities that they might not yet even see for themselves. And so um, in, in some ways, uh, I feel like the best way to help support church plants and the movement of God is to also have healthier established churches that can utilize their resources for the bigger kingdom movement of what's happening in the United States and beyond. So, yeah, so that's a little bit of why remissioning for me.
1: Josh, man, you're, I, again, I'm with you. Uh, that's why I felt called to come back to work for Virginia Baptists is to help churches in Southside of Virginia to rethink new possibilities and what God's doing. So what are some of those key pieces as far as remissioning? What would that look like?
2: Yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the key pieces that uh, folks don't always begin with is that actually the spirituality of the leader is incredibly important to a remissioning process. I think we jump quickly into other tools. We want to get to the, you know, there's always a temptation to a get rich quick scheme in established churches that if we just do this one thing, this is the easy button that finally is going to make everything work. Right. But in reality, we need spiritually and emotionally mature leaders to, to be present in the church spaces to help them to navigate the grief of uh just how complex changes in people's lives uh how difficulty how difficult it is to sort of develop the muscles to be resilient in the face of dramatic change in culture and what it means to be church and so one of the first things that we tend to focus on in the remission process is actually developing a spirituality of weakness for the leader where you learn how to take on the attitude of christ to humble yourself you're not the person with all the magic answers but you are present with people and walking through that journey with them. Um, Along with a spirituality of weakness, um, my doctoral work was called creative destruction (laughs) (laughs) towards a theology of institutions. Um, I don't know how an established church uh, called me to be their pastor. That was 158 years old at the time. And I was 32. Uh, I don't know how they thought it was a great idea to, call this young pastor writing a doctoral thesis on (laughs) creative destruction but to their credit like they heard the heartbeat that there are some ways that churches have to be willing to die in order for new life to emerge and so a, a central piece of the remissioning process is actually saying what is it that needs to be to go through the cross what needs to be refined pruned to experience uh, God's God's um, kind of like fire of, of kind of burning away the chaff, burning away the impurities, things that have become associated with the gospel that actually have become unnecessary additions that need to just sort of be pulled away so that new life might emerge. Um, so creative destruction is part of that process. Another key piece is traditioned innovation. So how do we embrace the best of our story, where we've come from, the places where God has been at work, the places where God has said, I see you, I hear you. This is where you've been so faithful to the mission, to shepherding, to exploring new territory in the past. And then how do you translate that so that the church can live into that same kind of missional impulse for the future? Sometimes the best thing a church can do is to look back in such a deep way that they can see the future emerge by paying attention to the way that God helped them to be on mission before. Um, Another key piece is developing new healthy metrics. Like how do we define success or faithfulness or fruitfulness in this new season? I mean, let's be real. Like the the normal way that we talk about uh, measuring success at a church is normally, you know, bucks and plates and butts and pews. And so right. if that's the only way we talk about success is numbers, um, is that really the best measuring stick that we have to determine what it looks like to be healthy and fruitful as a church? I would argue that numbers matter, but they certainly aren't the best measuring stick. They are one way to help us to identify how new life is emerging, but Let's be real. There are plenty of, folk, plenty of churches that have grown in number but continue to be jerks, and their community doesn't trust them, doesn't want to be a part of them. And so how do we begin to measure how a church is, is actually impacting its community? Amen. Is there flourishing happening in that place? Are they able to see that businesses and schools and local organizations feel like they have a partner through a church that's trying to see the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven? And, um, so yeah, those are a couple of the key pieces that we try to wrestle through in the remissioning process to help people to have a handle both in their own interior life, but then also by looking at what's happening in their culture, what's happening in their church and learn to identify the gaps that exist between those two for the sake of the mission of God.
1: Josh, again, great word, um knowing what pastors have been through, you know, with this pandemic and the challenges and staff and, and lay leaders as well, but what resources do you think they need? You mentioned that it starts with the leader. Um, What resources are you think would be, would you think would be the most important right now to get them started in this
2: process? I think there's one thing that I just, want to say maybe first before i talk about resources i just i hope pastors and leaders right now i hope they know that they don't have to be human garbage cans for their church's sin dysfunction Mm -hmm. brokenness um that they don't have to um just collect everybody else's stuff and own it for themselves And so one piece of encouragement, just to kind of start off, is to say that as for you as a pastor, as a leader, if you're listening to this, like, I just hope you know that God sees you, God identifies with the pain that you've had to experience, the loss that comes with people that you love, people you've baptized, cared for, married, buried, who have left in this past year, people who have been critical, folks that you thought you could trust that you you don't realize that you can trust anymore. Um, your own grief and loss that's come through this season. Um, God never asked you to simply uh, be a repository for everybody's brokenness and sin. Like Jesus is the only one that can carry that, bury it through the cross and overwhelm it through the resurrection. And we certainly get to participate in the life of God, but don't feel like you have to own other people's uh, sin for them and that you you have the responsibility to fix anybody or anything. Your job is to be present to that space and point them to Christ. Um, so, one of the key kind of parts of remissioning, and also that I think is so important for pastors right now, is to actually do some emotional health work. Yes. Uh, probably one of the most important books that I just I can't overstate uh, its importance in my own life uh, is "Emotionally Healthy Spirituality" by Peter Scazzera. Um I found that. Uh, Being aware of the way that I carry luggage around with me and bring it into my relationships and into my leadership and carry both the pain and trauma of past church experiences, but also from my family, um, that I, I, the more I'm self-aware of my own stuff and recognize that other people are bringing their own baggage of stuff, it helps me to be more graceful towards others and myself. And so I found that that book in particular has been just incredibly helpful for me. Uh, Henry Nowlin's "The Wounded Healer," mm. uh, Mandy Smith's "The Vulnerable Pastor," mm. um, Brene Brown's uh, "Dare to Lead" or "Braving the Wilderness." Oh, wow. um, there's I can't tell you how much how many miles out of Brene Brown's phrase like that you have to have a soft front and a tough back that's reminded me of like what it's like to pasture in this moment that you need to continue to remain open to other people. Like the moment that we were closed to other people's sin and brokenness and shame, uh, that's God didn't ask us to be a trash can for people, but he did ask us to remain open to that so that we might point them to Christ. Um, but at the same time, you need to be strong. Like you need to know that, um, you can't do other people's work for them. Mm And so, um, so yeah, I feel like for pastors, uh, get counseling, get a coach, find a therapist. Like, don't, don't think that you're going to fix a once in a lifetime, Lord willing pandemic and the grief and trauma that it's caused all by yourself. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a licensed counselor. Uh, and so for me, it's been really important for myself to get help. To make sure that I'm talking with people to help me to process the pain of, you know, being ghosted by people that I loved and cared for, but at the same time, not making it my own. And so I, I can't, uh, a spiritual director has been really helpful too for me. And so I think pastors, if I could like recommend something, uh, finding finding a spiritual director, coach, and a therapist. And you don't have to use them all at the same time. But those three resources have been uh, incredibly helpful for me in the journey.
1: Josh, that's a wonderful word. Yeah. And again, I think all that kind of leads into uh, you and I both have uh, that affinity towards Bowen Theory. Um, Yes. Freeman, failure of nerve and. Uh, um, yes. several other books come to mind for me. Cause again, you, we've talked about this a little bit. My doctoral work was on anger management, but looking at Bowen family systems theory. So yeah, I think all that yeah. fits and uh, the books you've mentioned, I think are very important. I really appreciate that.
3: Uh,
2: yeah. Thanks for bringing up that failure of nerve. That's like top 10 books. I don't know how I didn't mention that one, but that one's important. so important. Um, and uh, another another helpful one for me too has been thriving in ministry conflict sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and it actually builds off some of those same concepts from Friedman um, about self-differentiation, uh, uh, paying attention to your own kind of uh, hot and cool zones and uh, the ways that those navigate, uh, yeah, how we navigate those in our own emotional complexity um, has been really helpful too.
3: Good, good. Yeah.
1: So let's say we've got a healthy pastor and they really want to work on this. What are some of the biggest hurdles they're going to face in a traditional church that's been around 100 years or more? <laughs> so,
2: Yeah. So one of the most complex parts of remissioning a church is that you are helping them to define new metrics for faithfulness and success
3: right.
2: while also uh, having to lead them at a time when they don't understand it. And so you're having to help them to redefine what it means to be faithful to the mission of God while they don't really see what you see yet. And so it means that you have to be uh, secure in who you are as a leader. It means that you have to be patient. It means that you're going to have to spend an extra amount of time walking through the process with folks while also not being manipulative towards the end. And so you have to hold these kinds of truth and new metrics with an open hand so that people can see it and receive it, but also um, you're not being dogmatic. You're gonna have to discern something together. Uh, I keep thinking about uh, kind of one of the first early councils in Jerusalem when the church was trying to decide who, um, uh, what, what practices of Judaism that the uh, Gentile Christians were going to have to live into. And, uh, you know ultimately the early apostles say that it it seems right to us in the spirit that this is where we land and i think to some degree remissioning a church you you have to pay attention to what seems right to the spirit and to you knowing that it's going to evolve over time but that's okay um i think another hurdle is going to be that folks are just really tired and worn out
3: right oh yeah
2: and there there's a lot of disillusionment about uh what it means to be church um you you've got really kind of competing senses of the world across generations Mm. so you have older generations that really expect that participation in church is just a normal way of existence uh they're operating in a christendom mindset and it's because that was the world they grew up in it's the world Mm. that they knew it wasn't wasn't bad it's just that oh well like church was the way that you found friends the way that you got formed they relied on the institution of the church to kind of do the work they didn't have to think through the intentional ways of being a disciple because the church uh, was already afforded that privilege within society what's happening with younger generations is that they could care uh, less about whether the church exists (laughs) And you're actually having to have really complex conversations about race and justice and sexuality and what it means to be human and what it's like to be a family. So many really hard conversations. Uh, And and they're so important. But their expectations for church, like they're going to, if you show up after they have a child at the hospital, they're going to be like, why are you here? (laughs) I didn't ask you to come see me. the expectations for what it means to be church are drastically different. And so, you know, one of the values that we talk about at first Baptist is that we want to be a church that practices unity that grows in unity.
3: Mm.
2: And, but that means for us that we, we aren't uniform, like we're not uniform in in our expectations of the church. Uh, We're not uniform in what are even our expectations for pastors um, we're not uniform in what we think the church should be about. And so holding that tension, creating a table that's big enough for multiple expectations to exist, but then having to kind of mash up against each other right. is really, really important. I think one of the other pieces, one of the other major barriers I've sensed is that churches just have to get out of the kind of meeting people's preferences game.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: Uh I one of the ways that we we've talked about it has been like if your if your preferences are being met more than 75% of the time, it means that your preferences are winning out at the expense of multiple different generations, multiple different learning styles, multiple different ways of uh how to experience worship or formation. And so we we try to tell folks like part of what it means to be church today is that we lay down our preferences for the sake of a bigger mission. Right. And helping people, they can like verbally give assent to that, but actually encouraging them to like willingly uh lay down some of their preferences around music or meeting times or to be in relationship with people in different generations, or maybe to like not have the church be like a cruise ship of entertainment options, but actually like a place where people are formed it all sounds fine to lay down our preferences till it's your preferences, right? (laughs) Right. And so one of the barriers actually is that a pastor a leader needs to be just as willing to lay down their own preferences for worship and formation as other people. And so pastors have to be willing to go to the cross themselves for the sake of a bigger mission. And um, uh, I know that there are pastors that are willing to do that, but I also know that's hard. And it probably feels like right now on the other side of the pandemic, you probably, you probably feel like you've done more than your fair share right. of laying down your preferences. And I just want to encourage folks, like, keep pressing in. It's always resurrection doesn't come through already living. It comes through death. And so um, that's a hurdle that's really hard. Uh, it's costly. It's exhausting. Um but on the other side of that kind of dying to our preferences is the possibility of new life. And so um, I just want to encourage like pastors to be willing to press into those hurdles and spaces, knowing that what's possible on the other side is worth it.
1: Well, that, you know, that leads really into that next question. Um, when it begins to click in the church, what does that look like as far as celebrations Um How, how how do you celebrate those moments when you see, and if you've got a scenario you want to share, uh, just, hey, I can see they're starting to get it now.
2: So um, one of the major hurdles in my particular context was actually navigating the complexities around race and culture in our community. Right. And um, it actually got to a point where there are some folks who wanted to remove me as pastor a few years ago because our church had formed deep partnerships and relationships with um, and been doing some work with both local police and local churches of color to navigate really hard conversations about what it means to be particularly black in in our town, in our county. And um, a celebration was that when our church named it together, over a series of a couple hundred conversations over a few months. And then we talked about it in worship and invited people to the cross. I mean, there was a 95-year-old woman who had been carrying around the shame of uh, being against the integration of schools in our county that was able to put that on the cross and name it publicly and repent and choose new life. Like, how do we not celebrate that? yes and i can't imagine like how freeing i well and i know how freeing it was because she named how liberating it was for her to be able to let go of that shame of wishing that she had responded differently 60 years ago
3: right yeah
2: and and so um for me like celebrations of seeing literally people like the whole lie about old dogs can't learn new tricks that is like that is like a lie from the pit of hell (laughs) like (laughs) that is not the gospel, like the gospel is that people can change. And so uh, we've seen uh, senior adults and young people find room with each other. So uh, one thing that often happens for young people is they are they move away from their families yeah. for work. And so we've seen uh, senior adults in our church become kind of surrogate grandparents for younger families in our community to let them know that they're seen and cared for, that they have a babysitter so they can go out on a date night. That they can like catch their breath, that they see each other, and there's joy for them because they might not be able to see their own grandchildren. That's so there's right. this like beautiful like adoption into God's family together. Um, uh, one one huge thing is that instead of being a liability to people in our community, the school system, uh, local businesses, instead of us begging to be around, they they are inviting us to shape policy to shape relationships to be present in the midst of difficult times instead of us begging to be there uh, a marker of celebration is that our community partners actually see us as an asset instead of a liability Mm. so they've gone from going you know i went from just begging to be in any of those spaces to have conversations and let them know that we're for them to now being like hey like we just literally can't be at school meetings every single night of the week. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just shifted. <laughs> um, to see people, another big celebration is to watch people who have seen, have had fractures in deep relationships mm. choose repair. Yes. To press into those places where there's been fractures in family relationships or fractures in relationships of the church where people haven't talked to each other for 10, 15, 20 years, who've sought repair and reconciliation. Now, it it relied on repentance. People had to name some of the brokenness that existed between them. But one major celebration has been people who hadn't talked to each other in 10 or 15 years talking to each other again, Mm. serving on committees. And it's not like a violent act of (laughs) like (laughs) wondering, uh yeah if i need to have a police officer on call ready for whatever was going to happen next you know um and so yeah those are uh those are some big ones and then you know there's kind of traditional things like seeing people decide to follow jesus with their life who commit Mm. to the jesus way with us and so when we stopped having two worship services based on style preferences Mm. we baptized and had in 18 weeks, we baptized and had over 30 people join our church when we laid down our preferences for the sake of the mission together.
3: There you go.
2: And we, we did that as kind of a divine experiment just to kind of see if it was the right thing for our church. I'm not saying it's the right thing for every church, but it was for us. It seemed right to the Spirit and to us. And we did this thing. And then it was so clear that this is where we needed to go. And so some of those traditional things of just seeing people i mean uh i baptized this like 70 something year old guy with really bad knees and it was the first time i almost had to body slam someone into (laughs) baptism because his knees gave out and so he just went flat and laid flat in the water and i couldn't get him to go under and he's uh a construction worker really thick he could have like squeezed me like grape you know popped me if he wanted to it's i had to literally take both hands and you know, push them into the water to dunk them. But those are like such beautiful moments of seeing 70-year-olds choose baptism to follow Jesus with their life. And so a marker of celebration is seeing people across age groups choose to live in the Jesus way. Um, It doesn't mean that it hasn't, uh, and this is probably a weird part of celebration, um, also like releasing people that've been toxic to the right. environment that's right. is also been a celebration like um, recognizing that um, the body of Christ is bigger than one particular group of people yes uh, it's it's also really important to make space for people to leave in a healthy way to celebrate that there are ways for them to not live in agony at a, in a church that's trying to wake up to the mission Right. That if they're looking for a place that's more focused on shepherding and teaching, that's okay. And to release them without judgment. Right. Um and so uh when we've been able to send people out, like there's been a couple of times we've actually like prayed for people publicly and sent them to other churches and not just been like sad or angry or frustrated. Sure. When we've been able to have those kinds of conversations, it's been a tremendous gift too. So um Sometimes celebrations come in odd ways, but yeah. uh uh there's a great book called Um Oh, just totally, I just totally blanked on it. McDonald. Uh oh goodness. Uh Who Stole My Church? That's what it is. Oh Who yes. Who stole my yes, church? Yes. And uh, you know, sometimes the the way a church grows is first through subtraction. That's what he talks about in that book. Sometimes something that you need to celebrate is actually people saying, oh, like the values of where you're headed aren't consistent with where I'm at right now. Yeah. And so we actually need to move on. And there's, there's actually tremendous grace for that. Um, you, you actually don't know if you're making really meaningful shifts in the culture of a church until you get some of that happening. Right. Um, uh, not everybody's going to go with you to the promised land.
1: Well, some would call that a blessed reduction. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's <you> know, right. <laughs> but blessing them, blessing them, yes, to find yes. where they need to go. And the theme I'm hearing again through the last few pieces of this, the comments and questions, uh is taking up your cross daily.
3: Yeah. As a church, and knowing what yeah. that one of
2: one of the old. uh some of the old like monastics they used to talk about is like, you have to keep death before your eyes daily. Mm. Like, and, um, I, that, that can sound kind of morbid in and unhealthy way, but the idea is like, you know, the church is the place where we sacrifice for the sake of others. Like, I mean, that's the whole invitation, take yeah. up your cross daily and follow me. And, and let's be real like that, that part of the gospel hasn't always been the central part of our story. That's right. We we often think that um, if we just keep adding, if we just keep building programs, but we never repent or identify things that need to die or go away. Um, that if we just keep adding and doing more and more, that it's going to be fine. But the, the reality is that sometimes we have to say, "Gosh, we just we totally missed the mark here,"
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> or we had a major blind spot and we were contributing to the brokenness in our community. How do we repent of this? Repent, repentance is something that we do regularly. That's what it means to keep death before us daily, right. in front of our eyes. It's to say, "Gosh, I'm never beyond this place where God is doing something new in me." Mm. And in order to have room for something new, you have to let go of something old. I, you know, I've got two two sons, and I remember when they were really little. Um, you know, one of their reflexes, right, is when they're really tiny, is that they hold grab something and hold it. And then they, right. they don't let it go. And so uh, I remember one time they were sitting in their high chair and we had put a new piece of food on there. They were really excited, like squealed in delight for it. <laughs> but they were holding the other things that they didn't really want to eat anymore. And they could see the new, but they couldn't let go of the oh, old in order wow. to wow. grab the new. And I think sometimes remissioning churches are like that. They hold so tightly to the old and they see the new and what's possible, but they struggle to let go of what's already in their hands to receive what God has for them. And so, you know, let's not be like that toddler that can't see how to let go of what's already in their hands to receive the gift of what's new.
1: That's, that's a great illustration.
2: <laughs>
1: so, you know, if I have a pastor or a staff member that really wants to be a part of this remissioning cohort. And again, I have this has been really helpful for me um and bringing back some reminders and then several things that are new and so it's been a great experience um how could they be a part of that
2: so best thing that they can do is check out the v3movement.org so that's yes the t-h-e uh v the number three movement.org and um Uh, If they go to that, they can see the training where they see uh, remissioning is right on the front page there. You click on that. You can see some of the main objectives. And right there, there's an application to join a cohort. Um, The cohort is really the like bread and butter. It's the heartbeat. It's a it's a 30 week journey with other pastors who are remissioning their churches uh, from all across the country. Even uh, internationally, we have some folks who are doing this in other countries. And our goal is to provide a network of peers who, people who will eventually become friends, where you can share in the journey, both the joys and the struggles of remissioning an established church to help them to wake up to the mission of God. And so uh, the, the cohort is really like the deepest place where you can spend the most time developing tools, uh, gaining. Uh, you'll have a coach that will walk along the journey with you to give insight and reflections, Um, it's actually a great way if you're trying to develop a plan to figure out how to go forward. Not only will you explore tools, but we actually encourage you to develop that plan that will be in concert with the leadership of your church that you can actually use to uh, at a business meeting or whatever it is that you do to help cast vision. Uh, This is not an exercise in futility. This is not just some kind of academic thing. This is a, we want you to have some tools at your disposal to help your church to live out the mission. Um, But along with our cohort, we have immersions, which are a way to kind of, if you're interested in remissioning, uh, but aren't sure if you're ready to commit to a full cohort, we have what's called immersions, which are like four to six week experiences where you can do work around, how do I begin to structure my discipleship pathways for mission? Uh, How do I get a taste of remissioning uh, before I jump into a cohort? Um, we also have some specialized coaching there. Uh, if, if you want some to tackle a specific problem in your church, that's something that we offer too. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: also, if your church is thinking about like creating a social entrepreneurship or a business as a way to think creatively about how to be on mission, there's also a cohort for that too. Um, but the remissioning cohort, um, uh, we've been doing these for about three years now. And not just has the number of pastors grown, and our number of coaches grown, but the, the depth of conversations have been really profound. And I've been so encouraged by the stories of folks that as they have, uh, uh, as they've applied these tools in their context, they're seeing meaningful change happen in their relationships, in the culture of their church. Um, the way that we talk about remissioning is that it's a, it's a change of the culture of your church from the inside out. So that right. your church actually experiences life change and transformation for the sake of your community. But we we want long-term cultural change so that the church that you pass on 10, 15, 20 years from now, five years from now, yes. uh, it it is it is not culture draining, but it's culture making. And that your community will easily be able to say that without your church present in that place, they can't imagine what its future would look like. Yeah. And so, um, so our cohorts are, are just a really fun way to get to meet, uh, other pastors who are on the journey and to get some coaches who are living this stuff out on the front lines, just like, right. uh, the pastors are themselves. And so it's open to lead pastors, associate pastors, uh, teams, uh, we've even done some where it's a pastor and a couple of, uh, kind of key leaders from their church. So okay.
3: um, yeah.
1: Josh Man, I thank you for this time. Uh, this has been very helpful. I do think it will help uh, a lot of my churches rethink what it means to remission and and uh where they are now and <clears throat> hopefully moving uh them to taking up that cross daily and uh and seeing new possibilities, not inside the church walls, but outside the church walls as well, uh into their community. And so
2: amen, Tony. And The church needs needs people like you helping spark these conversations, and the church needs uh, remissioning pastors who are willing to, you know, follow the path of Christ, uh, the path of dissent for the sake of a bigger mission. So, Mm -hmm. really, really excited and thankful to be be here with you today. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thank you. I'll look forward to uh, to seeing you soon as part of the cohort. So, but uh, that sounds great. Thank you. Uh, We look forward to seeing those new wineskins, that fresh perspective go out uh, to all the churches that will hear this later.
2: So have a great day. Thanks, Tony. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the content this week and that you found something that you can put in use today for your ministry context. If you'd like more information about Dr. Hayden and his resources, or more information about Dr. Tony Brooks or the Baptist General Association of Virginia, or just want to connect for further dialogue and resources, go to bgav.org or email tony at tony.brooks at bgav.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you join us for the next episode of New Wineskins, where we discuss fresh perspectives for the local church in the 21st century.